This week, we discuss radical activism, cannabis in Western medicine, and the potential of RSO. Coming up now on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical Grass. Texas, and I'm an activist and filmmaker. You just heard the chillaxing vibes of Asemic with a track titled Shaman, which is one way of describing this week's guest. Another synonym would be Medicine Man, which is an apt description of what our guest has become known for. Mike Wise is a filmmaker. He's a producer on The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, the film version of the book by investigative journalist Greg Pallast. And he is the director of the Phoenix Tears movie, Rick and Me, where he interviews none other than Rick Simpson, famous for Rick Simpson Oil, and also Illegally Alive, his documentary on the criminalization of medical cannabis and patients. Mike is also a very outspoken and courageous activist, making RSO for seriously ill patients and going after Big Pharma and their defenders in government by advocating for patients over profits, which also happens to be the hashtag you would use to find him on social media. Over the past couple of years, Mike has been traveling throughout Europe, doing speeches at cannabis events all over the continent and advocating for cannabis patients' rights. In that respect, he is very dedicated and fearless, risking his own freedom for this very cause. I caught up with Mike at the Cannabis Fair in Krakow, Poland earlier this year, where he also gave a speech and discussed his personal experience as a patient and activist. I wanted to know how he got started down the path of cannabis activism. I come from a political family, so my father, he was a state representative in the capital of Texas for eight years. So I've always been um, kind of motivated uh, by the the fight, the human fight, you know, the struggle of the lower classes. And uh, um, so 
I've always been an activist, you know, um, whether it's for the downtrodden, you know, homeless rights, inmate rights, um, other things besides cannabis. And, but as of recently, most people know me because of my cannabis activism. And so what really changed was around 2014, I moved from Texas after being jailed to Colorado. And there I started to advocate and uh, really push cannabis activism at the state house. And so I'd go to the state capitol almost every weekend and speak on whatever bill, you know, testify on whatever bill they're trying to push. And, um, you know, I had an organization there called uh, Colorado United Cannabis Patients Front. And um, we, uh, we were in the city halls a lot. Um, when I was there in Colorado, it was just after recreational laws passed. And unfortunately, once that happened, a lot of the medical laws and rights started to get restricted and infringed. So that's when I kind of took up the plight of fighting for patients because I'm a patient myself with Crohn's disease and I talk with many patients being a, you know, I have my own show kind of like what you do. And so I talk with many patients and a lot of, a lot of us can't get out of the bed, you know, sometimes can't get out of the house. You know, it's a, it's hard, you know, and even with PTSD or something like this, sometimes they just want to lock themselves in a closet. They don't want to get out, you know? So I kind of feel that since cannabis has given me back my ability to go out, that it's my right and my duty to speak about cannabis and speak for the patients who can't speak. So that's pretty much what motivates me to do what I do. Mike simply puts his money where his mouth is. He decided to take the fight directly to the government of the state of Colorado. This even after cannabis was made legal for non-medical use in the state, where restrictions were put in place despite quote-unquote legalization taking hold. And Colorado is not the only place where people are still facing uphill legal battles despite cannabis having been legalized for adult-slash-recreational use. In places such as California, Oregon, Washington, Illinois, Michigan, Washington, D.C., Canada, Spain, the Netherlands, and so on, there's still plenty of rules, regulations, and restrictions surrounding legal cannabis which, at a minimum, seem a little absurd or even pointless. Though, to be fair, cannabis legalization, or re-legalization, is still in its infancy and the laws will most certainly change. At any rate, Mike saw many of these contradictions and unjust restrictions, and being a cannabis patient himself, he decided to do something about it through making films and activism. There's nothing like first-hand experience and being on the receiving end of punitive action by the state that will motivate you enough to risk your freedom and potentially even your own health to fight for something you deeply believe in. I was curious as to when Mike realized that he was dealing with a powerful medicine with immense potential and not just a substance hippies like to smoke for entertainment. Right around the same time, 2014, I was in Colorado and I started shooting a movie called Illegally Alive. And it was focused on film uh, families who had to move from a, a state where cannabis isn't legal, like Kansas, Texas, something like this, to Colorado where it is legal for um, access for their children mainly. So people who had super sick children, they tried all the pharmaceuticals, it didn't work, and they found cannabis works, so they had to move in order to get access to it. And um, the main character, he had Crohn's disease, and I was noticing I had a lot of the same symptoms, you know, I'm doing the interview with his mom, his parents, and I'm noticing I have the same symptoms, so I start looking into my symptoms a little bit, and that's when I kind of figure out, like, oh, that's, I have Crohn's disease, you know, everything that they're saying I have to a T. And so I started to look into treatment options for myself, other than uh, 
to smoking cannabis, which I had been doing for 14, 15 years prior. Um, so then I heard about this man named Rick Simpson. Uh, a lot of people, it's a buzzword, you know, Rick Simpson oil, RSO. And um, everything out there says you can use this oil to cure cancer. So my first thought was, well, you know, if this works for cancer, which is the most serious disease out there, what could it do for Crohn's disease? And so I did the protocol. Um, I actually did 90 grams in 120 days, high THC oil, and um, cured my disease. You know, and I still take it less than a gram a month. But that's when I really found out that there, there really is medical value and it lies within the oil, within the essential oil of the plant. And um, not many people know that. So that's also why I like to speak as much as I can to people about this because it's great to smoke. I love smoking. But there's also tremendous amounts of medical benefits that we can unleash to everyone, everyone in the whole world, if we can get it legal everywhere. Admittedly, Mike likes to use cannabis for non-medical purposes. However, it was him curing his own illness by making his own medicine that convinced him of the power of cannabis, specifically in the form of RSO. Now, many, if not most of you listening to this podcast have certainly heard of patients being cured or getting immense relief from some form of cannabis, whether smoked, vaporized, or ingested as an oil or other concentrate. But unless you've seen it with your very own eyes or experienced it for yourself, it might be difficult to understand that feeling of overcoming a serious medical condition, despite the odds and despite medical professionals telling you not to get your hopes up with a substance that hasn't been prepared by and purchased from, people in white lab coats. Well, Mike's first-hand experience with this was enough for him to start preaching the Canna Gospel and become an unapologetic advocate for RSO and ultimately share the medicine with patients suffering from crippling diseases. In other words, the living embodiment of the phrase, sharing is caring. But despite the effectiveness of RSO and medical cannabis in general, the cynics and detractors have not gone away, and it seems they will continue to flood the media with the opposite information for quite some time. How does Mike react to all the naysayers and prophets of doom? I kind of look at that, because I've heard a lot of this myself, as, as the source coming, you know, the source of that coming from two different sources. So a lot of it is misinformation, of course. Um, there's a lot of people out there talking about cannabis that don't really know what they're talking about. And so people will criticize um, RSO and how it's prepared. You know, they might say it's crudely prepared or something because you can do it inside your house and it's not hard to do. And um, and so the flip side of that coin is that that information is going from the, the business side, kind of the industry side, that they know that you can make this medicine yourself at home with just a rice cooker. Um, and they don't want you to do that because they want you to rely on them and their fancy $30,000 CO2 machines that you have to have to make the oil. Um, when I've made it pretty much similar to a rice cooker, pretty much no different. I mean, you might use a moonshot and still or something, you know, a little bit more bigger and sophisticated, but it's still something that in my basement for a thousand people, a thousand five hundred people at this point now. And, you know, many of these people came to me and they said, I have only two weeks to live. You know, I have a month to live. And this was four years ago. So I would just say to them, those people out there that do say this is that maybe to do more research about it or to look up my show <laughs> and find out more about it. <laughs> One of the criticisms lobbied against RSO and Rick Simpson in general is that there are not enough studies or clinical trials to support what essentially amounts to anecdotal evidence. 
While thousands of patients have to be studied and the trials then peer-reviewed in order to be able to make bold claims about the medical effects of cannabis oil, i.e. it cures cancer and can be used on all sorts of diseases, this does not mean that patients have not seen improvement in their conditions. Rick Simpson himself claims to have cured his cancer, among other ailments, and Mike himself claims to have helped over 1,500 patients to date. In order to verify such claims, a lot of time, money, and research will have to be allocated towards studying RSO and its effects on the patients taking it. However, many of these patients simply cannot afford to wait. So while it is risky, and perhaps even unethical, to tell someone some hemp oil will cure whatever ails them without the scientific evidence to back it up, we can be absolutely sure that RSO will not kill anyone or hasten their death. Here I'd like to quote a previous guest, Mara Gordon, on making bold health claims about medical cannabis. There are very few things we know definitely to be true about cannabinoid-based medicines based upon modern clinical trial modes. However, what we do know is that it is not dangerous to try, and there is no excuse for suffering while waiting. Start low and increase slowly. Low and slow being the rule of thumb here. However, not all RSOs or hemp oils are alike. Before we get into the differences, however, here's Mike explaining what RSO actually is. Well, RSO is a, is a high THC cannabis oil, but you mainly eat it. You consume it either orally by eating it or rectally via suppository. So it's quite different. It's a thick, black, tarry oil. Um, it's not very pleasurable to smoke. Uh, it's not really made for that. Um, and the way I would describe it to people who maybe aren't so familiar with it is that it's the essential oils from the cannabis plant. And many people I know about oh, essential oils from lavender or, you know, frankincense or something like this. Um, and that's basically what it is. And the way to get it, it's the, uh, it's really just the, the resins from the plant. So just the, the trichomes, the, the, the THC. That's why we highly say use indica plants with high THC. And you just kind of wash those resins off with a solvent and then you boil the solvent off and you're just left with the, the nice resins from the plant, the essential extract. It's a thick tar, and um, it's great stuff. Here is where RSO gets interesting compared to other cannabinoid-based products. According to Rick Simpson himself, it is THC that plays the dominant role in the oil. However, by no means is it acting alone, and not all types of hemp oil have the same effect. Here, Mike gets into the nuances. I'm glad you mentioned that because it it is a big distinction to make is that many of the people, especially like in the fair we went to yesterday had cannabis oil, but it just had CBD in it. So this oil is, is referred to as a full spectrum oil is what they call Rick Simpson oil. And what that means is that it has of course, THC and CBD, which are the big ones, but then it's going to have like CBG, THV, CBN, THCA, other cannabinoids. And last time we checked scientifically, there's 144 different cannabinoids and a cannabinoid is a, a molecule or you know a, a substance that's found only within the cannabis plant so there's 144 different of these we mainly only talk about cbd and thc there's 142 more of those and that we so, know of that we know of yeah and so uh, there's probably thousands of them. but you know when you make the oil this way it doesn't take any part of it out it doesn't take any of those cannabinoids out so if your specific plant has 40 of the cannabinoids of that spectrum of 144 
when you make the oil this way, it's going to still have all 40 of those cannabinoids. So it'll have all of them. It'll have uh, flavonoids, which is another part of the plant, which is kind of the flavor, and then terpenoids, which terpenoids are responsible for the smell. Um, so it will have all, all three of those things together, and it creates like a synergistic effect, which is known as the entourage effect, which was uh, found in, I believe, 78, you know, in the 70s by Raphael Michelin, which was another reason why it's kind of... Um, upsetting for me to see these companies selling oil with only CBD in it because 40 years ago they proved scientifically that you need to have THC with the CBD and other cannabinoids to make it stronger. So to me it's kind of not only absurd but it's upsetting that these people are profiting off of giving people weak medicine. Some hemp oils are marketed as being very rich in CBD and very low in THC. They may be labeled as full spectrum or full extract oils, but does having zero or almost no THC reduce the effectiveness of the oil? What is the actual effect? So it won't have the same head high effect that most people are known as, but then also they won't have the same healing effect that most people are looking for. And so Rick Simpson has a funny kind of quote he told me one time. He says, if you don't get high, you don't get healed. It's kind of a funny tagline because he's always pushing the high THC. Um, but we just, we just need to basically not isolate the cannabinoids when you take out and only try to sell someone one part of it when we've scientifically proven you need all the parts together because it works better that's what we should be selling you know that's what we should be making that's what everyone should have access to so that's why i say it's upsetting for me to see all these people selling bottles for you know exorbitant prices really um especially in some of these downtrodden countries of of, of something that's a weak medicine, in my opinion, because it, it's lacking all the other components and constituents that are in an RSO type of oil. Simply put, RSO is a full extract oil based on the principle of whole plant medicine. Cannabis has so many of these compounds with different functions and effects on various processes in the human body that, essentially, it is an entire pharmacy contained in one plant. As Mike mentions, the cannabinoids work with each other to produce a synergistic entourage effect. Think of the individual cannabinoids as individual musicians in a band or orchestra. On their own, they could be big stars that grab most of the attention. As a group, however, they are incredibly powerful and more effective as they work together in holistic fashion. To isolate them and tout them individually as wonder drugs is to essentially reduce the overall effectiveness of the plant, which has been evolving for millions of years. As most of you are aware, THC is responsible for the psychoactive high. Yet, for many people to this day, this is seen as a big no-no. They equate being high on THC with being drunk on alcohol, as if they were the same thing. They are not. Many people want the therapeutic benefits of cannabis while being sober. The euphoric effect of cannabis is still viewed by many people as debauchery, or hedonism, artificial happiness, or even just being a drug addict. But they fail to explain why feeling happy or euphoric is a bad thing, especially if you are depressed or in pain. Feeling good is part of the healing process, and the fact that cannabis does not affect your motor skills or slur your speech or drastically reduce your ability to reason like alcohol does makes it that much safer to use. Yet high THC oils are treated as if they came straight out of Chernobyl. But with THC being slowly legalized in many places, is it realistic to expect RSO becoming more accepted in the mainstream? I've answered this question many different ways in the past. 
now I'm kind of of the belief that I don't even know if it, if we will ever have access to high THC oil like like we should. Um, I used to say that we're we're being delayed access to it because big pharmaceutical companies are paying politicians to keep cannabis illegal so they can figure out a way to make the medicine out of the THC, you know, FDA approved and safe and all of the, the steps they need to go through before letting us be able to grow it. Now, unfortunately, I don't know if that will ever happen because we're even seeing, you know, you can take uh, Britain, for example, they have... British Sugar, a company there that's supplying 40 hectares or 40 acres of um, cannabis to GW Pharmaceuticals, high THC skunk grade medical cannabis. But everyone in the country like me or you who live there, if we grow the same high THC medical skunk grade cannabis, we get jailed. But they can grow it. And, you know, we put them on the front of Fortune magazine and this kind of thing, you know. Um, so I, I kind of. I hope that there will be a future in which we can all grow it legally, you know, but from what I'm seeing that's happening in other places, it's kind of the opposite. And it's just like, they'll, as soon as they give you whatever access you get, you know, maybe if you, the most successful method of gaining access I've seen is referendums. So if you can get the people together to vote somehow where actually the people vote and the politicians don't have a, a middle you know, they don't play middleman in that process, then you can get some sort of legalization going. But as soon as that happens, those politicians are going to jump in there and take those rights away. And so that's what I'm seeing. And that's what I've seen for the last three years. Um, so I guess to kind of put a positive spin on that is that I'll just say to this, grow it yourself, you know, um, especially if you're trying to treat a terminal condition, something that, you know, you can it's fatal you can die from whether it's for you your mother your brother your sister your, your you know just do it just grow it you know don't tell anyone do it secretive and heal them you know and and if you feel emboldened like i have you know after healing someone or healing yourself then you can kind of start taking it out there and being a little bit more riskier with it but um i guess what i can say is just don't let the laws affect you you know it's uh, i believe it's thomas jefferson he said if a law is immoral we have a right to break it, you know, and, and I'm paraphrasing that, of course. But uh, so I feel that we all have a right to grow this, you know, so let's do it, you know, and if we all do it, you know, they can't arrest us all. This is a rather pessimistic take on the situation by Mike, but he is speaking based on his own observations in the industry. Look no further than the likes of John Boehner or former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, who have jumped ship from being total prohibitionists to board members of cannabis companies. You can cut through the hypocrisy with a knife. But it's not just about hypocrisy. Mike feels that something else is at play here, specifically how we approach medicine in the West. You know, we are used to that panacea type of treatment, like a pill for everything, and that's Western medicine. Um, in a nutshell, that's what Western medicine is. And so, just like you said, cannabis is, is kind of the antithesis of that because Western medicine kind of relies on that whole, um, you know, point I was talking about earlier where you need to... You, Western medicine wants to take the healing and the medicine part out of your hands. They want to put it into a professional's hands. They, they want to separate yourself as much as possible from the process and say that only scientists can do this and only doctors can do this and only pharmacists can, can do this. Um, and guess what? Meanwhile, all those pharmacists and doctors, <laughs> you know, and scientists are all getting paid. 
you know, a lot of money to drive Jaguars and BMWs and nice cars, Aston Martins, you know, <laughs> when we're driving, you know, 20 year old used cars. And so it is kind of a, it is kind of a, like a, a collusion type of setup. It's a, it's, you know, I don't want to say a cartel, but it's a, it's an industry in it. And it's the opposite of Eastern medicine where, you know, when you take Eastern medicine, that's all about healing holistically with herbs, you know, and um, many of their books still list cannabis in there as a medical herb that they use. Um, so I do have a lot of patients and they'll come to me and they want to encapsulate the oil, of course. Um, but it really works for, it works for a wide variety of conditions and it's a, it's a different way of looking at it. And that's what most people need to realize. And it's hard. I still haven't figured out the easiest way to put this into like the easiest words I can put, but, uh, cannabis isn't like the miracle drug kind of people think when you take a pill, you know, you heal, heal something. Cannabis unlocks your body's potential to heal itself because your body is a magical, you know, invention. It's the most, we still don't know everything about the human body. It's the most, we can't create another human. It's, it's so far advanced. And, um, and so what cannabis does is there's receptors all over your body, your organs all over your different places. So if you have liver disease or something, well, there's a receptor on your liver. You know, if you have uh, Crohn's disease like me, there's receptors in your intestines. Uh, if you have brain tumors or something, there's receptors in your brain. And so when you ingest cannabis, these receptors, they actually thrive on cannabis. They need to have cannabis in them to activate, to fire, to function correctly. And so when you take cannabis, it goes into whichever area is, is being affected by disease and it works like a lock and a key and it opens the, the organ to start functioning correctly. So people want, you know, and many of the times people are like, you know, there's too many people saying cannabis is a cure all and all of this stuff, but it really is. And you just have to be able to explain how it works to these people so they will understand that you can cure a wide variety of diseases yourself very easily at home and you don't need to rely on the pharmaceutical industries and the, the doctors and the scientists and you know I still have faith in surgeons of course if I break my arm or something or my arm gets fallen off they can reattach it you know I think that's a honorable profession but some of these other people they're just prescribing pills and many of the patients I talk to they're on like 15 different pills they start on one or pill or two pills and then that pill has a side effect so then they take a pill for that side effect those pills have a side effect so they take two pills for those side effects before they know it they're on 15 different pills their liver is failing all sorts of things are going wrong their blood pressure is out the roof and it's because they're just being prescribed pills by in my opinion doctors who don't care who just want to continue getting rich to continue driving their jaguars and bmws and aston martins while the rest of us are struggling to heal ourselves because we have to fight some unjust laws that were created by people who are dead the people who made these laws don't even exist, and we're still living under their rule. It's crazy. We need to fight against it. From that perspective, things can certainly get kind of depressing. But instead of shrugging his shoulders, Mike is fully dedicated to fighting for what he believes in. So what advice does he have for young activists or entrepreneurs who want to join the fight? It's tough. Um, the one thing I'll always say is to always look to people to mentor from that, ha that have more experience potentially in the field. Um, you know, of course, people like myself, I'm always open and willing to talk and do podcasts and this kind of thing. Um, it's it's a long, tough battle. You're always going to be on the losing side, pretty much, in my opinion. 
Um, you always seems to be, you're always going to be seem to be fighting from behind. Uh, a lot of the times you're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough time. Um, so it's best to make sure that your own life is in order, you know, before you start trying to fight for others, which is tough because we all are empathetic and we all have empathy in some way, shape or form. And we want to help our fellow man. But at the same time, you have to help yourself. And so I've noticed that many activists will forget this and will neglect themselves in the process. And they'll kind of be running on fumes. They'll have no money. Um, so try to focus on those things. Platforms like GoFundMe and Patreon, I think, are kind of done. I think might be kind of not the way to go if you're looking to seek funding. Um, and so the way I, I'm approaching other young activists and people who want to just get into the industry now is and really always is this to tell them to start their own business. And um, you don't always have to go get an LLC and, and all of this stuff. You know, in the USA, you can get a DBA for $10, $15, which is a doing business as. I'm sure there's similar setups in Europe and this kind of thing. Um, and and just don't work for someone else because uh, really every minute and every second and every hour that you're working for someone else is a second and a minute and an hour that you're taking away from working towards your dream. So really I could just recommend to kind of what I'm doing is I found a way to incorporate cannabis business to fund my activism. And so I'm actually kind of slowly working to create a usable model that other activists can use themselves to do the same exact thing. Um, because with this plant, you know, like I said, it's just some seeds, you throw it in the ground <clears throat> and you can have the same exact products that you buying in all these expos. So if, if, you know, if these activists and young uh, people who want to get into industry will just start growing it themselves, they can produce the same exact products, you know, at this pretty much the same exact quality and level, you know, as these big businesses and they can sell it themselves, you know, and I'd like to see farmers markets type of things start popping up where we can, you know, get together and sell our own products. I mean, even buds, you know, and just sell and trade and do this kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say more old fashioned way of doing business, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see more of that. And so that would probably just be my advice is just to, um, keep fighting. It's going to be tough. Um, but you know, as long as your heart's in the right place, you know, the money will come when you need it. More important than having money is having a good heart. Some great advice. So if we'd like more information from Mike, how do we get a hold of him? Pretty easy to get a hold of, but at the same time, I will preface that with saying that it can take a little bit of time for me to respond. <laughs> so, um, Facebook, of course, is my bread and butter. That's where I focus all my time on, really. Um, I do have an Instagram and I have YouTube as well and I have LinkedIn, which all are having educational material pumped out on them as frequently as I can and they all take messages on those platforms. But Facebook would probably be the easiest and it's just under Mike Wise Show across all of the social media platforms. Mike, my name, Wise, W-I-S-E, Mike Wise Show. And um, you send me a message. I've never not answered a message, you know, unless it's something really stupid and like troll-like, you know. But doing this for four years, five years now, I've answered every single message that's come my way. Sometimes it takes a week or two because I can't get kind of busy. And finally, we bid Mike adieu.
Likewise, thank you for coming to uh, to Poland, to Krakow, and for speaking with me today. Enjoy the rest of your stay in Poland, and good luck with uh, all your activism and future uh, cannabis-related endeavors, and uh, I hope to see you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on the show, and I would come on any other time in the future that you'd have me. That was episode 25, and with that, we complete season one of the Critical Grass podcast. If you've made it this far, you now occupy a special place in my heart. Big thanks once again go out to Mike Wise for taking part in the interview. Feel free to give him a shout on social media. We will take a couple of months off to focus on new guests, new material, and other goodies for the show. If you would like to support the Critical Grass podcast other than morally or spiritually, you can go to our Patreon website where you can subscribe or donate. Also, feel free to reach out to us on social media if you want to join in on the conversations. We will be back with Season 2 in the fall, so don't stray too far away. As always, my name is Bogdan. Keep fighting the good fight and enjoy the rest of your summer. Ciao, y'all.